This is Greg Drevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine, and your host for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. I'm recording this on September 20th, and we're in the final week of production for the November 2022 issue of Writer, which will be our first ever adventure-themed issue. The inspiration for this issue came from the guest on today's podcast, Dave Scott. Dave is an old friend of mine, and we used to ride together in the late 90s when I lived in Philadelphia and he lived in New York City. In the summer of 2020, during a record-breaking hurricane season that drenched the southeast in rain, and while we were still in the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic, Dave took a solo journey on the Trans-America Trail, a mostly off-road route that extends from coast to coast. Dave wrote a story about his adventure, and it goes well with other features in the November issue about the Trans-Canada Adventure Trail, the Trans-Euro Trail, and the White Rim Trail in Canyonlands National Park. Dave has a way with words, which is why I wanted to interview him on the podcast as a companion to his story. With Dave nursing a cocktail on his back patio overlooking Lake Pontchartrain in Louisiana, we had a freewheeling conversation via Zoom. Our interview got interrupted at one point when the afternoon sun overheated Dave's phone, but when things cooled down, we picked up where we left off. We talked for almost an hour, and we only made it as far as the Mississippi River on Dave's east to west journey. Enjoy this episode and stay tuned for a follow-up episode where we'll hear more about Dave's ride across America on a dirt bike. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. I was just reflecting that the last time I saw you was just shy of a, a year ago now, and I had just finished the TED. It was a whole year ago now. Yeah. So you And I was you, on my way home, and I passed by with the bike in the trailer. Yeah, you and I sat around uh, the back patio and had some beers, and you told me about your experience on the Trans-America Trail, and I was like, hey, man, you got to write a story for the magazine. Yeah, a whole beard has been grown since then by both of us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, for the benefit of people who are listening, because this is only an audio podcast, but we do this via Zoom call, and I'm looking at you as you're sitting on your patio. Over your shoulder is Lake Pontchartrain, so you're in Louisiana, just north of New Orleans, and it looks like a nice, beautiful, sunny day. You've got a glass iced tea. I guess that's iced tea. Uh, that's a whiskey cider sour. <laughs> Even better. I'm a couple of hours ahead of you, baby. <laughs> so the reason I want to talk to you is like you've got this feature story. So the November issue of Rider, November 2022 issue of Rider has this adventure theme. And really it started when you said that uh, you would write a story about the Trans-America Trail because uh, once I was arm twisting you to kind of write the story and send me some photos, I had a guy from Wales send me a story with some really cool photos he did part of the Trans-Euro Trail. And so he did the portion in Albania, but there's like 32,000 miles of off-road trails that are all over Europe. I didn't even realize that existed. And yes. then another guy sent me a story about riding part of the Trans-Canada Adventure Trail. And so that's a 9,000 mile trail that goes from Newfoundland to British Columbia across Canada. And they rode about a thousand miles in Ontario. But you took on, you know, kind of the granddaddy, the Trans-America Trail. What inspired you to do it? Well, if it by in terms of specifically writing the article is you, I remember you telling me this and you shamed me into that uh, <laughs> <laughs> all the United Colors of Benetton are already writing about it. and We don't even have one yet of the U.S. But uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of the actual trail is, you know, I've had dirt bikes my whole life. I, I've been uh, my first ever motorcycle. I was eight years old. And it came from Canon Motorcycles, run by Malcolm Smith, who was wow. a friend of my dad's through their respective wives about horses or something. And so I've had motorcycles for since I was eight years old, and I'm 58 now. It's for 50 years. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, and every time you ride, it's always time to come back. You know, when you're riding in the dirt, especially, you got a littler tank, and the trail ends and out and back, and you go back to the campground or go back to the road or whatever. And, but every single time, always that moment. And you're like, what if I don't go back? If the trail, sometimes the trail is just a loop or it ends at a Canyon, but most of the time it's, there's still more trails out there, you know, and what <laughs> that's always been there with me. And then when I heard about the, uh, the TAT, the Trans-America trail, uh, I don't know where I stumbled upon it somewhere internet surfing or on ad writer or something like that. And I was like, Oh my God, there it is. You started the ocean to your back and you run until you get wet. You know, that, that's the end of the road through the whole continent on a dirt bike. And so, yeah, once I heard about it, I would have been in a perpetual state of planning. In the beginning, it was almost half fantasy, but 
by golly, uh, when I retired from the State Department, I was like, you know, the little so-called bucket list or something. And I figured, well, you know, of all the things I'd like to do in this world, this one probably takes a lot of energy. Yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> up front first. And so I might as well do that before I'm pulling around the oxygen uh, trailer, you know. And uh, actually, one of them was to climb all the high points. I got about, I don't know, almost 40 of them. But I don't know if I'm ever going to climb Denali, especially now that I've broken my leg so damn many times. <laughs> so you mean that to hike all the high points in the United States? Yeah. yeah. And I've got just shy. Of, I got 39 of them. And actually, I was going to do it internationally. And I got uh, I did Kilimanjaro, you know, and I thought, well, you know, I can do once I do the. But again, I, the whole mountain climbing thing is probably not going to happen. Yeah. So then what's next on the list? Well, there's the Trans-American Trail. And then and then I was my last uh, overseas assignment was in Khartoum, Sudan. And so since at that time we had more sanctions on Sudan than did uh, Korea, North Korea, and uh, we bombed them once upon a time, but we still maintained a embassy presence. And we, they were on the listed of sponsors of terrorism list. And, uh, uh, and so therefore you can go out very often <laughs> because if your first responders in law enforcement are actually terrorists, it makes it uh, hard to, to yeah. really interact with the community directly. So therefore, I had an entire, some people play fantasy football or whatever, but uh, <laughs> I had the entire tat uh, in all of America and the various trails that connect them at, through the internet at my disposal. And I went down the rabbit hole and planned the amazing trip of the gods. So give us a little bit of the backstory because I know, I, I don't think I knew it until I read your story, but so the original guy who mapped and scouted the original sam carrera sam carrera he building statues of him in the middle of roundabouts and you don't have to worry about confederate stuff or this and that is uh, sam carrero he lives currently in counts tennessee is an amazing american hero that should be on a postage stamp is that way back in the 80s and he was i guess a salesman he lived in northern mississippi as far as i understand and he was a dirt bike guy and he was a every weekend dirt bike guy. And I guess a uh, beautiful man, I don't want to impinge on anything, but a little bit of ADD and a, and a, and a lot of temerity and, and, a, and a large degree of focus is that he sat there and this is in the pre-internet days. I mean, before uh, Al Gore invented it and we all have it, I guess it was out there for a couple of eggheads, but for regular people, he literally got forest service maps and he sat there and stitched together a trail with that same idea, where does this go? And then where does this go? And I wonder if this can go all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And so the original tat actually didn't start in the Atlantic. It started uh, right at the border of uh, Eastern Tennessee, uh, right outside the Smoky Mountains and Teleco Plains, I think it is. And then, uh, and it went all the way to Port Orford, Oregon. And this is what makes him an amazingly huge, large phallus, Balls the size of cassava melons, American hero that deserves on a postage stamp and a statue is that he put it on the internet. And once it went on the internet, it became everybody's trail. It wasn't just Sam's, it was everybody's. And then from there, every it, it, little individual trail people decided to adopt pieces of it. Local motorcycle clubs decided to, you know, keep pieces of it. There would be a, a some kind of cataclysm flood or or shoot, I mean, a lot of rural areas, I don't begrudge people paving their roads to get to their ranch. I mean, there's a lot of development that's going on in the hinterlands. And so uh, so once he set out the concept of it, it really fruition. And now there's, then there was GPS Kevin and yeah, there's controversy in this and that, but he was the one that put it on chips and kind of really modernized it because Sam had the old, and I'm old enough to remember these too, is, um, those old enduro scrolls, man. Yeah, so this charts, dude yeah. had like the Dead Sea Scrolls of like, then you go 3.2 miles and then turn left and there's a little T-shaped drawing and all of those. <laughs> so he put he put all the way across America on dirt roads on a big fucking, you know, 75 mile long scroll that you could put up. <laughs> and so GPS Kevin, I mean, he didn't do his homework. I mean, tell me that it exactly started where Sam's and exactly ended with Sam's like Minnesota doesn't have dirt roads that you couldn't cross or, you know, yeah. come on, Kevin. I mean, you suck, you know, but at the end of the day, <laughs> he did put it in and more electronics and kind of more modernized it. And it was a couple of little routes that he found that within the, like, for example, I took Kevin's uh, because I wanted to specifically go to uh, Lynchburg, Tennessee, because I had buddies of mine meet me there. And so Kevin's goes exactly through there and Sam's is, you know, 20 miles different, but yeah. stuff like that. It, it's all good. But then, but then since then, and the whole 
dirt bike kind of renaissance re you know renewal and, and all of that is those back country discovery routes through um oh what's the map company butler uh, maps butler maps also when butler maps first kind of come out I, I must say i gave it a shrug it's like oh come on man yeah i can read a map and figure out it's wiggly as mine but but another friend of mine said no no take a second look and i'm not a hater and i love maps and but the butler backcountry and then those became individual ngos i think by state so it's kind of related to butler but at this point many of the Back government discovery routes are have their own lines yeah. and their own. So B BDR is now it's its own uh, non-profit yeah. organization. Yeah, I mean it was founded by the Butler Map guys, uh, Justin Bradshaw and Court Butler, and then some of the guys from Tour Tech. But then they launched a a, a non-profit. So yeah, now that basically all the different states, and then there's the one in the Mid Atlantic that crosses several states. But most of them are north to south routes off-road mostly off-road routes in individual states mostly out west but there's some in the east yeah yeah so similar to the actually go back to sam is that um so same thing you know that was the other like oh gps kevin put them up for free and sam's had a nominal like 20 bucks or 30 bucks at the most for maps and he's xerox and he uses um so you know my answer is yeah to begrudge the man he, it took him almost 20 years before the internet and then when the internet came on he had to re kind of boot it and he continuously unlike kevin who was one and done i think but uh but uh, sam actually goes back and he he goes with friends he discovers new routes he's uh, doing but separately kind of like we were talking about back country discovery routes is yes they're sam's everyone should start there buy a sticker get a shirt hook up <laughs> the dude he's a hero yeah. but at the same time yeah there's a it's it to the tat blunts and there's hundreds of verge so there's the, the, and also, too, is separately individual states and the National Park Service and so on is there's things that I'm interested in, which uh, through the National Park, I'm kind of a history buff, is the Lewis and Clark. What do they call it? The Voyage of Discovery. And that's a part of the National Park. And if you're in St. Louis, you can get your little passport stamped and throughout that route that ends up all the way to the Pacific, at the mouth of the Columbia. In fact, on the original version of the tent that I set out to do, that I wasn't going to end at Port Orford. I was going to end at, what is it, Cape Disappointment or whatever they call that horrible place where they had to survive all the moss growing in their toes in, in the rainforest. <laughs> and uh, I was going to, that's where the tat for me was going to end, like Lewis and Clark. Also along the way is the, of course, the Natchez Trace. There's the A Trail of Tears, which I decided to, that's why I started on that. So in addition to the tats, I try to play Spock chess. I had a whole nother level where as much as I could, I was trying to stick to the um, Trail of Tears route. And then when the Trail of Tears ends in uh, Oklahoma, then uh, once you get to the, oh, GPS Kevin's route goes a little bit into Kansas. And so I did that part too, just because I wanted to throw another state. Whereas if you stay with Stam, there's no need to kind of go up and down. So I did that part. And then from there in Kansas, you, there's the uh, Santa Fe Trail. And so I stayed on the, and that one, I left the tat and stayed on the Santa Fe because I had cousins and uncles there. So it's kind of not in the story, but I, yeah. I took a three-day detour and I just wanted to finish the Santa Fe trail. Then I came back to the tat and I, like I said, I had cousins and, uh, and my uncle lived over there. So I, I did it too. Then I got new tires in, uh, in Trinidad. And then finally, finally, and actually to me was one of the high points. And I'll, I'll try to put that in the story. The second part is, is the Mormon trail. And Idaho, gosh, they did the coolest. The Mormon Trail in Idaho is totally off-road. It's just like the Tad, or most of it is. And um, man, you can still see the ruts in the prairie. And God, there's something about tingling where you just crossed America and I've had all my trials and tribulations and broke bones and all of that stuff. And, uh, and I was driving in the footprints of the pioneers after that three river crossing and and gosh there's graffiti made with axle grease from the 1850s wow. you know uh <laughs> and so yes the the mormon trail that ends right there and uh well for me was at farewell bend and there's a campground right there on the snake river uh on the westernmost little bulge of uh idaho right where it goes into oregon and a cool campground and then that's kind of the end of the and then it goes right that's where sam carreros yeah Trail starts. So, so I did in the West. I did a lot of that backcountry discovery route, but uh, I kind of regretted it because backcountry discovery route in Utah is made for like Hurricane Bob Hanna. You know, what I mean? yeah. and if you're just a turd like me with a fucking duffel bag on your back, 
there was a couple of times where I almost died. And if I never, ever, 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 ever ride a dirt bike in Utah again, ever, I'm kind of okay with that because <laughs> it's just all rocks all the fucking time. So, hey, let's back up a little bit because um, so you, so you stitched together your own sort of trail. Like you had time. Mostly with Sam though. Mostly with Sam, but, Sam. You, but, but you sort of, you added some variation. I know you went on some of the, like bluegrass and music trails and yes. the Appalachians and Ozarks, you sought out the best barbecues and places. But let's go back to like, so when you were going to start the trip, you did this in 2020. So this was like right when COVID. The year before last, right in COVID. Yeah. yeah. And, it was right when they cracked it. First of all, there was a period of time where I thought like, you know, God just doesn't want me to do the tag. Like, you know, originally I was planning this thing. And then I was going to do it actually the summer before COVID, but it took a lot longer to move and transition out of 30 years of government service, plus the army before that. And, you know, and totally new life. And I moved back home to Louisiana and get in the house. And then, you know, that took like a lot, life took a lot longer than I thought. Oh, meanwhile, I've been talking this up because I, I'm going to do this tent. I bought that KTM brand new, a 2020, uh, a 500 EFXC brand new for that year. And, uh, because originally I have another, I had the old KTM 640 adventure and it was a good bike. It still ran. I had run that thing from Colorado to my dad before he passed in Crump all off road and then rode it all the way back down in New Orleans, mostly off road two up actually <laughs> with Sue's on the back and uh, et cetera. And I still had it, but A, it was kind of heavy for me and B, it was getting a little long in the tooth. It had these niggling electrical things and I'm a mechanic Neanderthal, man. So, so I'm like, no, I'm going to spend the money and buy that new bike. It was, that wasn't cheap. It was uh, as the most expensive, that dirt bike cost more than my street bike back in the day. <laughs> and uh, 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 however, I thought it was the best tool for the job. It was like, basically I was looking for a 350. You know, yeah. people say about the tat and it's true is that no one ever wished they had a bigger bike. You know what yeah. I mean? You, you got to pick up that thing unassisted, you know, probably nose face downhill on a scree slope you know oh yeah. and by the way take some piece of your limb and make it really hurt so you can't use it and then that you know your ribs you know hurt when you breathe because when you fall down that, that's what happens and then pick that shit up like forget it yeah. so i was looking for a 250 but then i thought oh my 200 plus pound ass so then i was looking for a 350 but then when i went to the ktm place it turns out from the 500 down to the 200 it's the same frame and the same transmission, same everything. It's just the piston size. Yeah. So with that KTM is I found a 250 that has like 80 horsepower and they can haul my butt around. So I was like, perfect. That's why I bought that bike. So once I got the bike, then I had to do it because I, I bought this super bike and I'm never going to use it for anything else. Right. So then when I talked, I, everyone's going to go in the beginning, God, it was going to be like a, the, another affiliate of the nomads or something, man. I mean, it was like everyone was going to go, but then it was like, okay, got the bike. I'm looking at this summer, you know, we're going to do this. Uh, then all kinds of life things started happening with other people. And then, of course, COVID happened. Oh, and then another thing based on kind of inspired from some of the things that you've done, Greg, is that um, I was going to do one of those bring your own bike three day weekend, like live at an old campground mm -hmm. and like some training guy and like how to do an adventure shit on your own bike. And I, I already had it was and then COVID happened. So in that April before Tat, when I was going to train for three days on my own bike and my own equipment, didn't happen. Then I had a buddy of mine that was living in Knoxville. And then the plan was they were going to come to New Orleans. They were going to trail my bike. We were going to go to Cape Hatteras together and then and then drop me off. And then life COVID and then his mom died. He had to go back to France and all this kind of stuff. So then here it is. I'm going to go. Everyone's dropping out. And finally, I'm like, if I got to wait for other people, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to have the time, the money, the inclination and do this right now. So I'm going to do this now. Oh, and by the way, you can't leave too early on this thing because the mountain passes aren't clear until at least July. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so this is one that a little bit later is a little bit better because it is still hot as balls here in the South where air no longer is a gas. It's a fucking solid, man. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> lean into it. You know, so you're, okay. 
So, so now how do I get the bike to Cape Hatteras or at least to somewhere, you know, out there in the Outer Banks or whatever? I thought Cape Hatteras because it's a park, a national park, and it's the furthest east of that part. Anyway, blah, blah. So, uh, um, and there's a part you can ride along the beach also there. And uh, so then I'm like, okay, you know, in the back of every motorcycle magazine, probably yours as well. I uh, know uh, there is just those ship your bike anywhere in the world for X amount of money. There's plenty, plenty of places that you can ship your bike. And, and so I thought, okay, everyone does it. It's not a thing. I'm going to do that. Turns out that we all know now about the infamous supply chain and all this trucking, but probably even in the day was, so I know it's not like FedEx where you can just call and, you know, there it is, 48 hours, we'll get your bike there. You know, I, I figured it was a couple of week lead time. So here it is like the first or second week in June. And I'm like, okay, I might as well set this up. Meanwhile, I was still waiting for some gear to come, mail order. I had those Moscow sort of side bags that look like those old 3030 slings, you know, on the horses. It's kind of goes with your frame. And I thought, well, that's, I got this, you know, $15,000 dirt bike, you know, I, I, I might as well use the travel. And so they made these like custom frames, but because of COVID and everything had closed, there was like a year waiting time. And so I didn't have all my gear that was on order even, but I thought, okay, I'll at least find out what it costs and I can start shopping around. So sort of like those Travelocity and, and Trulia, what, what, no, Expedia and all of those is it's kind of a scam. You notice when you first log on, the best price you get is like right then. And then if you go back to a couple other sites and you go back again, once they know you from the cookies, I guess it's like more. <laughs> the, same, the, the same with those trucking things, man. When I first logged on, I figured, okay, it'll be like $3.99 one way. New Orleans is a big city, and I'll ship it to, I don't know, Roanoke or whatever, Wilmington or somewhere out there. It's a big city and something like that. Oh, no. You know, every time I went back to the various things, it was more and more. It was a thousand something dollars already, and, and nothing was going. Oh, and you got to book that. Um, like months, it was almost too late. They were the only reasonable, sorry, it's a helicopter going over everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We love the Coast Guard, and I'm glad they're out there looking for us. Uh, anyway, Coast Guard is awesome. Guy. Uh, that's who that was. Check it up on us, people out here by the water. Anyway, uh, trucking, yes. So turns out that basically I got a guy on the phone instead of this internet stuff, and the two days I was going, oh, and so it was like, okay, if you want it within this period and like the end of July, um, you got to book it within today or like by this by Friday, and that's it. I can't guarantee anything else. So I'm like, okay, yes. So, and then they can't guarantee delivery within like a week or 10 days. So, and then meanwhile, where am I going to send it? Originally, I just said I just sent it to the parking lot of some motel or like to the <laughs> campground. You know, and I figured it would be there. I'd be there like a weekend. I think they could tell you by the weekend, but I was pretty naive about it. I'm talking too long about something kind of boring at this point, but, uh, but that was a huge, if I could do anything over again on the tat was, how the hell do you start at the tat? Yeah. Because I'm not going to ride a 500 CC totally knobby, you know, dirt bike on a freeway from New Orleans to, to Cape Hatteras. I mean, that's a hell of a long trip. You'd be sure. tired and your tires would be worn out, certainly on knobbies. And, uh, and then the other thing is, is that right there on the Outer Banks, there's a paucity of uh, motorcycle shops. And, uh, and the only one that's, there was a couple of moped rental places and they were like mom and pop, they weren't interested. No one wanted to take responsibility of having this bike delivered. Oh, and then when the truck guy came and I had all my luggage, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, we're not gonna, it was, yeah, the shipping the bike was almost harder than the tat. And then <laughs> finally, that's why I found that Harley, well, that's another one is that, you know, I owned a uh, Sportster before. Of course, I'm a victory man now in terms of my street bike. And uh, But the Harley dealership here is a total dick, man. They won't touch anything. They won't, you know, the tires on my Vic are the same size tires as their bike and the same kind of Dunlops I was buying. But, oh, no, no, I got to drive over to the Indian thing. And so the same thing, I thought, no way is these Harley guys going to take a KTM. I mean, it's a totally different species, you know, like they totally don't do that. But they were. I, I would do... I'll do all kinds of commercials and shout out to that uh, Outer Banks Harley shop. Plus, it was right there, almost by the Outer Banks themselves, right there in uh, mm. Roanoke. So they're great guys. They took. I don't want to mess them up. Maybe it was a one-off. The guy was just nice to me, and everyone's <laughs> going to call him, and they'll hate me again. But they were really, 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 really kind. And then, and then, in fact, when my bike got there, and I went to pick it up, took Uber there, you know, from my little airport, John. And then, um, 
you know, the mirrors were off and this and that. And, and again, something else that no one ever does, especially not Harley dealerships, is the guy actually let me use his tools and, uh, and let me, you know, cinch up my stuff and, and put on all the things I needed to do on the handlebars and all that. And so, uh, again, that one of the worst experiences was getting there in my first day. And, but one of the better hookups was those guys at that dealership. They really saved me. I couldn't have done the TED otherwise. I didn't know how I would have done it. How do you get a bike? Later on offline, we can talk about other strategies, but yeah, I don't know how you do well, it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a reasonable thing. Like I said, if you've got to start and, you know, the coast of North Carolina and you don't live near there, then you've got to figure out how to get your bike there, get your gear there. So you got the bike shipped, you were able to fly in, but then you had timing with such that you were like late July, early August, you had a hurricane headed. Oh your my way. God, <laughs> that year, not just. There were five named storms that crashed into Southern Louisiana that year. That was five named storms. In fact, when I got back, it's not on the story, but Zeta hit me. Hey, Dave. Hey, I know we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. Your phone overheated, but now we're back. You were talking about uh, we were there at the start of the Transamerica Trail. You I'm were sorry, um, Greg. I can't hear you. You can't hear me. Hey, Dave. You there? Yeah. All right. Good. We're back on. Uh, I know your phone overheated, so we had to sort of take a pause. So uh, yeah. when things froze up, you were talking about basically being in North Carolina. You had gotten your bike from your KTM had been delivered to the Outer Banks Harley-Davidson dealership. Uh, you picked it up. You were going to basically you wanted to start the tat and you had a hurricane bearing down on you. <laughs> yes, all of those things. And, uh, and like I said, since I had anticipated that I was going to have like 10 days, probably seven to 10 days, just there on the Outer Banks. The notion being was this big duffel bag with all of these sparkles on it that I hadn't put on the bike. And then I was gonna test all the stuff and all some of my new camping gear. Plus I was supposed to meet friends at the campground. We had like a double place that we, you know, you could reserve all that online. And then, um, so I had masks, snorkels. So I had a bunch of crap. And I think that's why the Harley Dave people helped me out because they just want to get me the hell out of there. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I look like the Joke family, you know, or the Grapes of Wrath or something. And then, um, so when I got there and they kicked me, when I got to the, did you hear the part about the, I just passed this, you know, unending stream of Winnebago's and stuff. Sure. So everybody's trying to outrun the hurricane. Yeah. But I was oblivious to that because I was going South and everyone's going North and I didn't realize it was a hurricane because in the 48 hours it took me to travel was when this thing showed up and became a real hurricane and they knew it was making landfall. And these things come very quickly. So you think I would have been smarter. And it took me about an hour to notice that all the traffic was going the opposite way. And then I just was thinking, well, it must be really more popular up there and where the Wright brothers were, you know, down here it's, and I'm thinking, thank God I'm going south. And then when I got to the campground, it was like late in the day. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I was like ready to pitch camp. And the rangers looking at me like, what the hell? What are you thinking? You know, and I'm like, well, and he's like, you know, it's going to make landfall right here. Like right now, like in the next 12 hours. So I had to turn around and join this queue of all of these people. And I had a snorkel and a mask. Who starts the tat with a fucking mask and snorkel? You know, the, the, you know, the idea was I was going to put it all in a box. My buddies were there in the car. You know, I could leave that stuff. And uh, anyway, blah, blah. So I tried to go to the post office and I couldn't because it was a Sunday or something already. I think it was the weekend when I got there. And then, of course, with the hurricane, everything was closed up. People were putting sheet, you know, raw, I mean, uh, plywood on their windows. And so then I thought, well, in my version of the tat, you can go all the way up the beach. And in fact, on some website, some gal did it on her bike and didn't know, and you're not supposed to, but you can and all of this. So I didn't start off on the tat. I started off on the Dave Scott tat. And I thought it was so clever. And I went all the way up the beach of Virginia beach. And that's like a two, three hour ride on sand. I mean, you're wow. just spinning and of course my unwieldy weight and I didn't know what I was doing and, uh, and I got all the way up there and it looked just like the end of the great escape. That was this like barbed wire and these like little beach obstacle things and that was the state line right there. And I really thought like, well, okay, if I was Steve McQueen, I could jump this fucking thing. But, uh, but I didn't, I had to turn all the way around and drive another three hours back. <laughs> God, and I was exhausted and hot. It was so hot. 
And so, yeah, the first day of the chat was probably the worst day uh, among the top five worst days of the chat was the very first day. Yeah, that's not how you want to start a trip. So you you started out right on the beach. You got your tires wet in the Pacific, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And then so where did you officially pick up the start of the tat? Is that in North Carolina inland? Yeah, you cross there that Kill Devil Hills. And then it's on Mm -hmm. pavement, the very other than that little dirt moment or whatever. Then um, and then you drive pretty much on pavement until the uh, great dismal swamp because that's right there on the virginia north carolina border anyway so you're probably 50 60 miles in okay uh before and even kevin because i mean uh sam i took sam's spur until about appomattox courthouse and then and then i ended up joining the um and then just around where the appalachian trail and all of that is towards west virginia is the backcountry discovery route Okay. And I just, t- I, so I took Sam's spur until the backcountry discovery route. And then I took the backcountry discovery route until central Tennessee. And then I took part of GPS Kevin's and part of the shit that I made up just on the map, looking at dirt roads north of yeah. the uh, Smoky Mountains. And then, and then I joined, yeah, that's kind of how I did. One, oh, one caveat though, is that those backcountry discovery routes are kind of made in these, they're kind of unidirectional, even Sam's, you know, you're supposed to start in the East and go to the West. Right. But, and so the backcountry discovery route goes through Virginia, all the way up to New York. It's one of those multi-state ones. Yeah. It starts yeah, right yeah, there yeah, on the route, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, well, I did it backwards, you know, like <laughs> two or three day, two sections, two and a half sections of it. I did North South because a lot of it paralleled what Sam's route was. Plus that's a country that it's real pretty. And I wanted to be there. Well, I almost got killed on like my first or second full day. And I was coming up this kind of a steep forested trail and two dipshits come from New York plates, come ripping around the corner. Big when that 790, one of them had a 700 CC. What's that? What bike is yeah, that? It's yeah, a 790 adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The larger and another guy had another one in a Suzuki something but bigger ones like yeah. there's a dr750 or something i think they're all like 750 800 double a little bit bigger than my bike but um one guy came right around right on the inside line where i was where there's a cliff to your left and there's a big cliff straight up and you're on like a ledge and i'm on a blind turn hugging the ledge yeah and i almost was a head-on collision and that guy did not change my line. And that was one of the first times I crashed on the tent, other than the self-inflicted face plant at the gas station, which right. probably hurt worse than any other thing except for breaking my leg. But um, yeah, which, people which is interesting because the backcountry discovery route folks, I mean, they really advocate what they call ride right. And you even can buy a sticker pack from them with all their different stickers. And it says ride right, put a sticker where no matter what, you should always ride to the right on a trail, but especially around <laughs> blind corners for exactly that reason. You never know yes. if somebody's coming the other direction. And um, the first guy was, whoa. And then the second guy was like, you know, almost like deer. You see one, you're going to have to see another one, you know. And, and the other guy was on the outside. And came hauling down. He was driving way above his skill level, you could tell. And maybe he was out of control. I don't know. And then not two seconds later, it's like, wow. And then, bam, this guy came forward. We actually hit handlebars. And um, and I and I drove up onto the side of the embankment and then fell backwards over with all my gear. Yes. And, and that dude knew I crashed. He knew he hit me. And to this day, that fucking pussy didn't even acknowledge and then I could hear him further down and I could hear them because we're the only ones in the woods. And I go, hey, I could yell and my voice echoed and then they kept going. So he knew that he knocked me down yeah, and he that's, knew that's New York people, man. That's, that's not cool. That was really. So that's the one thing I noticed that the backcountry discovered and in southern Colorado as well. There was a little group of kids that I kept running into. And a couple of them were either aggressive or just shitty riders that make them seem aggressive because they're riding at the ledge of their limits and they can't control kind of things. And yeah. so that's the one thing about that backcountry routes is they seem to be more well-traveled than the TAT, actually, because the TAT's a lot of just farm roads. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. you're just seeing old pickups with no license plates and stuff on them. Whereas yeah. the BCDR, Weekend Warrior, that's the other thing is I learned 
even though I'm a retired guy and it took me a couple months to do the tat and there's no schedule and you do what you do and it takes the time, it takes the time, it takes, et cetera, is I, in certain places like Ozarks, Arkansas, Eastern Tennessee, and all of Utah and all of Colorado is you were definitely aware of when Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was. Oh, yeah. Man, it was palpable. And that's when, because of that first weekend experience, because it turns out that was actually the first weekend. It's a bunch of yeah. dipshits on that Saturday. And so that's when it changed also. I had to be very aware of when the weekend was sure. and ride a lot more defensively. Sure. But then there's other times you wish you would have seen another vehicle. Yes. Yeah. You're really, when you were talking about that Canada tech guy, or trans TCT, I guess it is. Man, there is some lonely country up there. Yeah. Yeah, they were up in northern Ontario where they were like said there was just nobody up there. So, well, that actually brings me to a question because so, you know, you basically brought the gear to where you could camp the entire time. I know you didn't, but so how did you sort of split up your time with, you know, I know some of it would probably be weather dependent, but camping versus coming off the trail to see some other sites to you know, take a rest day. So how did you kind of do that? Yes. Yeah. Actually, to go back a little bit to what was, there were some aspects of it that were very specific to that time. Five name storms. And sure. of course, the second yeah. iteration was Ida. That yeah. was the largest hurricane since Katrina. That's So every summer there's that for me. But separately was the COVID thing. Sure. Yeah, this was the COVID. very first beginning of COVID when, when they opened the doors for all of us to go out. And so weirdly, in fact, unique in my entire life before and since then, almost all of the campgrounds were totally full and at capacity. <laughs> Even the weirdest little dumb state campgrounds had yeah. people. And then almost all the motels were all really cheap. It was like if I paid 50 bucks is the most expensive motel the whole way. Oh, wow. They were all half price, all like. And so in the beginning, by default, like a. Around, um, uh, I was kind of naive because I thought, oh, there's oh, on a motorcycle and a tent camp. There's always the the extra spots, hike in spots. Or yeah. I was pretty sure, like I didn't need to make reservation other than Cape Hatteras because I was going to be there for a week and there's going to be guys with cars and all uh, the team. But other than that, I didn't think I needed reservations because then you find yourself chasing them or or getting there and it's two o'clock and you have more riding time and you it's kind of a double-edged sword of organized how you organize yourself sam did a great job in laying out you know possibilities and so on but you know I, you know sometimes on the you're right like before i left i did the top 10 barbecue top 10 best roadside eats you know weird america i did you know i want to see the corn palace or all those things you know the yeah. two-headed alligator museum and all of those things i kind of put along the tat as well so on those things like, I'm going to have a nice lunch, you know, I'm going to sit there. And so that'll be a lower tat day because the priority was a nice meal day, you know. And yeah. so when you and then a lot of them, I kind of blew off because I'm not that doctrinaire. You know, if I'm making good time and it's really nice or it's pissing rain and I'm not going to go see that. I don't want to see two other alligator that bad. You know, I, I wasn't going to. So it's kind of whimsical. So I had a really great system that I have to this day that's just a, uh, just badass is that uh, um, I've got one of those uh, tent hammock things yeah. it has mosquito deal it's, it's the one by that british guy that did went through the amazon with it for two weeks or whatever i've been in crazy pissing rain in eastern tennessee i mean just i spent all day in that little tent almost it was raining so hard and i've been in bug entrenched places and that that's a and that whole thing wads up to be about the size of two butt cheeks you know what i mean with that's with the tarp and all of the mosquito and there's and you can make it modular like if it's yeah. a really warm day and, yeah. and so that thing was awesome because that allowed me to camp anywhere right and i mean even in the oklahoma panhandle where there's these sand dune things that i went into just for fun and uh, um and there's no foliage but the picnic tables themselves have this little shelter around them oh, yeah. and you can put it diagonally just all the way across and that's the fact i love those things and then you can put all your gear below you on the picnic yeah. table sure and just camp on the and so so that that little thing allowed me to camp anywhere i needed to and it really freed me up from like terrestrial concerns of although i ended up taking a lot more motels mostly it was because on the and then later on in the tat is just something you well know but i was also a bit naive is any time of year no matter what within a hundred mile radius of moab 
you have to have reservations. I don't give yeah. a shit yeah. for camping, yeah. for motels, for everything. You can, yeah. And there's a lot of you can't camp here places to do your little gorilla style. And similarly is in the Lake Dis- Peak District between Telluride, Waray, and all of those. Those are two little hot centers that year round, you've got to have some kind of reservation. Yeah. You just got to. Yeah, they just get they get a lot of pressure. So, hey, so um, I have a question. So I know that you've had some challenges and I'm pretty sure we're going to do this podcast interview in two parts, kind of like your story in the magazine. So what I recall from your, reading your story and talking to you is that, and this is something that since I live out West and we're always desperate for rain, the part about the tap that is most challenging for a lot of people is in the Eastern states, particularly Tennessee, Mississippi, and so forth, is the mud. Oh, yeah. Here's one. Or So... Because this bike was brand new, this uh, it was a 2020 500 EXF, EXC-F. Yeah. And, um, and it was new for even the KTM lineup. I mean, that whole family of bikes is new, and, and it's a magnificent machine. However, they had a very conservative oil change thing on it. It was something like, gosh, 1,500 miles or something. It's mostly set up for racing and all this, yeah. but it was – but. It, there was so little information on it because this is one of these, you got to order the bike kind of, I mean, I just got this bike and even the place itself, it sponsored some anyway, blah, blah. So, so I was, and also I'm starting to tat. So I was real conservative on the oil changes. Some guys do the oil change once or even yeah. can go away across, but in my case. And so I had, I printed out a list of all the KTM dealerships anywhere. And I marked them and all the tap maps and on my Garmin, I drop little needles in. Yeah. So because in some places like Colorado, there's all KTMs all the time, yeah. but in other places like the East, East of the Mississippi, there are very few and far between. You got to really look for these KTM. And again, some of these dipshit dealerships are just scum. That's why I support these lawsuits that are out there now, you know, about like that, I guess Tesla is trying to force these States to lift up and allow people to wrench on other things to do other services and anyway blah blah so the rain is so so the first place i went to is in a place called uh it's like friendly tennessee or something it's just in in the tennessee i kind of left and then went back to the tat that should get it and these guys they don't work on the adventure ktms he they only do all dirt bikes all the time and and like hardcore racers so there was it was actually one of the better just a guy and his daughter and that run this place and they're very cool. And there was a bunch of young kids, like early twenties, all racing people with big, deep scars on their legs, like mine <laughs> <laughs> and pieces of metal and stuff. And, uh, and there's a group of these insane Eastern Tennessee Teleco Plains guys that every year is training. They do the tat as a loop and they, they do it the whole thing in like a, a month to six weeks Jeez. it's like two and a half weeks out two and a half weeks in they average like 40 50 miles an hour they have it dialed into all their gas stops where they stay wow. and stop to me that sounds awful that sounds like the army it's like get up <laughs> at 4 a.m you know ride until you puke and then like you know <laughs> get up at 4 a.m and there's no stops at the bikes break they just leave them yeah. and they have like a chase vehicle that's two or three days behind them yeah. they're just scooping up the body parts <laughs> and the pieces of motorcycle they don't do any camping they just already have a guy at the motel that sets them up their food and it's like a pros and they literally do it every year and they have like among themselves. So that's a separate tat thing. That's not even the tat for me. That's like crazy shit. Yeah. But those, so I was talking at first, I thought they were full of crap, but after a while it was like, no, that's what they do. And so those guys, cause I was like, okay, I'm trying to get Intel from them. This is the very beginning. This is right when I'm kind of getting into the tat. I got rid of all my gear. The bike was dialed in the big famous water crossings that you see in all those faces of death part three, you know, tat version, you know, it was like these horrible water crossings in Tennessee that was all in front of me. And it was hanging on me cause I was scared. And then uh, I didn't know what I was doing. And so, um, so these guys were like, I said, well, what's the gnarliest. Some people say that war loop road in Arkansas. Yeah. No, they were like, dude, Mississippi. And they're like, yeah. And they point this other dude who's, was like kind of like Quasimodo or what's the guy from uh, uh, Young Frankenstein, you know, with uh, Igor with the hump that kept changing. He had like this <laughs> and he was like, yeah, skinny over there. Totally like did a complex fracture with his collarbone in Yazoo City, you know, Mississippi. And I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, yeah. They're like that Mississippi. It's if it's dry most of the time, there's these insane deep ruts. 
you know, that, okay. that used yeah. to be tire tracks. And of course, these guys are literally 60, 70 miles an hour. Cause that's what one of them said. He says, yeah, you hit one of those at 70 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, who the fuck goes 70 miles an hour on the tap? But these guys do because they have like, not even KTMs. These guys have like Husqvarna's and stuff, you know, like they're crazy guys. But uh, um, so they were all like, oh yes, treat Mississippi with the deepest respect. Okay. They're like, respect fucking Mississippi. In fact, a lot of people blow off Mississippi the way the Tennessee's got such good roads and interesting yeah. trails all the way and there's separate ways. But here's another thing is that Sam Carrero, as we talked about, I don't know when this conversation began, is born and raised in Mississippi. In fact, he lives in Counts, which is right where Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee kind of come together right there. Okay. You know, Buford Pusser country, man, walking tall. Yeah. And uh, um, and so, oh my God, his actually that's one where I cheated on Sam and I felt so bad because over breakfast he was asking me stuff and I kind of, <laughs> is that the tat is overstacked right there. If, if you go from, uh, what is it, Davy Crockett State Park it's like a day to count, long day. But if you do Sam's way, it's like another two or three days. And you're like, are you crazy? Because that's Sam's backyard. And so those trails are so dialed in. And he does lots and lots of challenging shit. Because I think that's actually the more challenging part of Sam. So that's another thing y'all should kind of know. Is that, yeah, don't, don't blow off Mississippi. And although weirdly, probably a third of these listeners that do the tat or whatever are going to go, I did Mississippi. I don't even remember. That wasn't a thing. Because if you catch it just right, and yeah. there's no crazy ruts, and there's no other thing, but of course we talked about earlier is, so right when I left Sam's place, um, oh, also one of the top three food destinations on the entire tap from coast to coast is a place that's just on the Tennessee border by between Shiloh National Battlefield and Counts is a place that does hickory smoked catfish. Ooh. Now I'm a catfish guy. I'm from Louisiana and catfish, the capital of the world is Mississippi, but this hickory smoke, and it's not jerky. It's like the way they steam it and the smoke. Oh my God, that's worth a just a trip there. And it's unique. <laughs> I've never had that before anywhere. But it's sorry, that little brain cell, but yeah. no to everybody. You got to get the. Okay. And Sam was one that told me about that place. Yeah. And again, thank you, Sam. So, Mississippi, it's, it's either dry with weird ruts that you don't expect that are diagonally and perpendicular to whatever line you want to be in, and dozens of them, or in my case, where one hurricane blew over. I parked longer than I needed to in Oxford, trying to wait till the trails to dry out and everything. Got back on the tat. Turns out another her, the one that wiped out um, Lake Charles. Yeah. You know, uh, what one was that? And um, that thing was so strong that it hit Lake Charles as a strong two, almost a three. And it went all the way into Arkansas, stayed as a one, crossed over to northern Mississippi and Tennessee and stayed as a one and punched all the way through and ended up flooding the backside of Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was a strong sustained storm. It wasn't high in number. So, so that was coming, but I thought, okay, you know, it was coming somewhere to Texas, you know, when this other one blew over and it turns out again, I had like an 18 hour window between some, and I thought I'm going to be living in. And Oh, by the way, as I'd mentioned, I had almost not did the tat. When it started off so bad, I was just on my way home. And so ironically, at the lowest southernmost part of the entire tat in central south Mississippi, where it slowly arcs up and goes due north, northeast, all the way to Port Orford. At that moment where I would have turned off and gone home in about three and a half hour drive on pavement, I, when I decided, no, I'm doing it no matter what, and I felt really good about myself. <laughs> I was like, wow, it was at a good start. It was like 1030. Things were kind of wet and a little bit soupy sometimes, but I was good. Bike was good. I'm really, really real. That to me was like the first real day of the tat. By that afternoon is when I got into the soup. And <laughs> I just thought, oh, God. I mean, because I felt for you because, I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to live in, in Georgia. I used to do mountain biking and uh, the red clay. And it, when it was wet, that stuff would stick to everything and glom up onto everything. And so if you're stuck in that kind of red clay mud, oh. it is an absolute quagmire. You can't, you, there's, there's no, it's not even a question of, Oh, I'm slipping and I'll just, you know, somehow jelly my way through it. No, the bike physically can't move. Like you said, yeah. is that, that you can't even see what looks like a tire. All of the knobbies are completely such yeah. that it can't roll through the swing arm because yeah. it's just, and you can't even scoop it off. 
You, yeah. I can't tell you how many pine branches I snapped down on my bleeding knuckles of just trying to scrape and chisel that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, so you, uh, like I said, I know you had recommitted to staying on the tat again. Uh, the the story that has some details that aren't in this podcast will be in the November issue of Writer. But you, you had recommitted and you somehow made it off out of the mud in Mississippi back onto some tarmac. And then what? So from Mississippi, you, I know you had a chance to meet Sam Carrero himself. You had breakfast at his house. He lives right off the, uh, off the tat. And then after you met with Sam, do you cross the Mississippi and then enter into the, into Arkansas? Yes. Yeah. And then, um, and then our mutual friend, uh, guy I went to college with that lives in St. Louis, Rick Koch, he had time off. And so we met in a random motel just on the edge of the Ozarks. And so he drove down from Southern South County, St. Louis. He's got your old KTM 640 adventure, right? Yeah. He had my old one, the one that I was, that I was originally going to do. So it was kind of set up for the tad. And so, uh, so it was a good bike. And, uh, and so we did that. And that was also interesting because, um, I mean, I was my soul of a gaunt, you know, doing it on my own, but then riding with another person makes it another, another thing. And, and a separate conversation, but uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses with doing the tat with other guys that made it sure. so awesome. But then there were other parts that was a little bit frustrating, you know. And uh, well, and so, hey, but that the Arkansas was to me was different totally because it was too. We I did it with another person. Well, hey, listen, because we've we've run a bit long on on time. Is what I want to do is I want to have a second conversation with you because you said that the Arkansas was one of your favorite parts of the tat because. Yes. Like the, the, I mean, anybody who's ever ridden in the Ozarks know whether you're on road or off road, it's really good riding. So I'd love to pick up this conversation, talk about Arkansas. I know we've definitely got to talk about Colorado because, you know, you got to get out there, but then you had some uh, pretty hair raising parts of your ride and stuff like that. So uh, let's, let's put a pin in the conversation for now. Let's uh, sort of wrap up this one episode and then let's, let's have another conversation uh, about Arkansas and beyond. Cause I want to keep it up. I, I've, I, it's, been too long since we've talked i'm glad to hear your sort of your oral telling of the story as well as reading about it so i want to pick up the conversation (laughs) again so does that sound good yeah it's always great to talk to you greg it's good to see you man although i barely recognize you i know yeah my my long beard and your long hair it's like we make (laughs) good hair so hey well hey dave uh again i will pick up conversation with you soon i i appreciate it we'll do another episode we'll continue the story going thanks for writing a story for the november issue of writer i know there's a part two that's coming so uh definitely uh when we get off the this episode of this interview uh get to work with the writing on that and we'll we'll get part two <laughs> <Yes. of> that, <laughs> so. <laughs> okay all right hey thanks everybody for listening for the writer magazine insider podcast i'm greg Trevenstead. keep the rubber side down If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.